Warning, the following podcast may contain language that some listeners may find offensive or confusing or intriguing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the 3v3 podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Good day, people. How are you? Miss, miss, miss Cassie, I forgot my homework. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. Are you going to collect the assignments? Are you going to collect them? I know you uh-huh. didn't ask about them, but are you going to collect them? Teacher's uh-huh. pad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will remind you right now that it was not my intent for that question to end the episode. <laughs> you guys just went totally quiet and yeah, I was willing to have that be a conversation, well, but no, mm-hmm. no, you pretty easy to break upon me. <laughs> it is easy to break the, the small pea brain of a male sometimes. Yeah. All right. So the question, the question that I unintentionally left the last episode off with, are there any NHLers past or present that you would like to see coach women's professional hockey? I almost missed the assignment and went only players and didn't think about current and past NHL head coaches. Mm. I landed on two names. One I'll throw out now and one I kind of want to throw out at the end. Um, Kirk Muller. Mm. Kirk Muller, who was a good top three forward on certain teams. He was an excellent, you know, middle six forward on great teams. He was, you know, lower in the lineup when he ended up in Dallas. But I feel like he also has a great temperament and he knows how to coach high skill. And to this day, I'm still surprised he hasn't gotten a second chance as an NHL head coach, given his pedigree and nepotism, but he worked with less than a full NHL roster during his stint in Carolina, but you never heard any of the um, nasty stories that you hear about other former coaches who may have only had one NHL gig here or there. Mm. He was just mediocre and squeezed the most out of a mediocre roster but knew how to coach talent. And I just think great mind with great talent. And I just think he has the right temperament for it. He's not like um, recently banished NHL coaches who just scream and yell or manipulative. I, I think he has the right philosophy, similar to um, Paul Mara did in the PHF with the Boston franchise. Isn't he back in Boston now? He is an assistant coach with that team. Yeah. Or one of the teams. I I don't remember if it was the Boston or the New York Connecticut franchise. So there we go. Kirk Muller. You said you had two. Was there another? Well, I, I wanted to open the floor to other answers before I gave my second. I, um, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> I forgot it on the bus. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I kind of, I, I did chew on this a little bit, and I sort of went uh, Sergey Fedorov. Hmm. Ooh. He's had a reasonably good career in the KHL as a coach. And he obviously knows both sides of the game offensively and defensively as a Selkie and Hart trophy winner in the same year, which has never been done before. Um, and I was just sort of sitting there thinking that would be, you know, and, and to and to throw it even further in there, I want to see him coaching the women, the the German women's national team. <laughs> <sighs> I do because uh-huh. Marco Sturm can continue, you know, wrangling. Actually, no, he's an assistant coach in Los Angeles now, 
So whomever they've got on the men's side is whatever. But I would like to see Sergei Fedorov coaching the German women's national team. Okay. Um, and I had another one as well. It's a current player. But I will let Pat, I will uh, actually, you may jump in now, Ms. Cassie. Oh, thank you ever so much. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I appreciate your kindness. Mm. Um, <clears throat> my first thought was Marty St. Louis. Um, you know, he came up through the college route, U.S. college route, and obviously he... Uh, he worked on himself to get to where he is today, coach of Montreal. But um, I'd like to see him coach women. I think that I think he would be a good coach um, in terms of like not just skill, but he can relate better to their size as well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I am going to go ahead with my second choice. Since we're doing a snake the draft. German thing, <laughs> Philip Grubauer. Oh, curious. <laughs> I think he would be a good coach too. I mean, the obvious, the other obvious for me was Sidney Crosby, but I think he'd actually make a better scout than coach. Doesn't isn't to say he wouldn't make a, a great coach. Just that I think he has a better eye, and he, it would he would do better like in scouting, but could you see him as the skills coach and not the head coach? Cause that's, I, I, I think I agree with your, your thought line there that I think he has the mind to do both, but that's not where he's best suited as like a head coach. Well, let's be honest, whatever Sidney Crosby wants to do in hockey after he retires, people will let him do it. <laughs> you know, he will, even if they don't have a place for him, they will make a place for him. So it, it's a matter of him being well aware of what he does best. So he would find whatever he's suited for best suited for in hockey if he chooses to go that route. But um, I could see people wanting to put him as a head coach just because he is who he is. I don't know that I think that he would be good as a head coach, but I think he would be better if he had to work his way up into that position rather than just, Hey, here, uh, have it. It's yours. Hmm. These are all fine facts and all of them un undisputable. Hmm. Well, they're um, always disputable. Yeah. You? Well, everything, <laughs> everything's disputable, including facts. If you listen to some people, um, my second was actually Gabe Landeskog. Because, mm -hmm. you know, here's a kid. Kid. Yeah, he's a kid to me, damn it. Everyone's a kid to me. Get off my lawn. Um, came up in the Swedish system, came over to play CHL. Um, I think he's got a mind for the game. He, you know, as as rough and tumble and quirky crazy as he is on the ice he seems to be very well adjusted off the ice he says with trepidation um because <laughs> we obviously don't know everything about everyone but um mm -hmm. he just always sort of presented himself with that mindset and obviously and i hate doing this and you guys feel free to pounce on me because this is so hypocritical or disingenuous or whatever you want to call it but him being a you know him being a captain on a team where he's not the biggest star shows that there is some at least relationship that he can build and sort of leadership that he can demonstrate and i think he would be fantastic for the swedish women's team because he could bring a little bit of that north american style into their park not you know not that everybody's so homogenous that you know the 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 international styles are so different from one another, but he would have that, that touch point of knowing how Swedish game is played and how the North American game is played 
at the highest levels to be able to sort of combine the two and get the Swedes, um, get that Swedish program for the women's side going on par with what the men are doing. Because they're getting there. You know, the, the Finns and the Swedes are getting there on the women's mm-hmm. side. I think somebody like him would just kick it up another notch. Bam. There I did it. Okay. See, making it up as you go along, not such a bad thing. I didn't make it up. I told you I put some thought into it after you reminded us our homework was due yesterday. Mm-hmm. So there. All right, Pat. Hey, Pat. Come on. I'm going off the board. I'm going with a name near and dear to everyone here. Oh. Our sweet boy. Which one? <laughs> Philip J. Kessel. I did think about Kessel. I, I honestly did. <sighs> he would be a great international head coach. I think he wants nothing to do with it in North America. And really, no. could blame him. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, who I've been thinking a lot about lately is Captain Chalky Milk himself, Jeff Skinner, oh. who does not fit the profile of a player turned coach. Kind of, he does. But couldn't you see him gravitating towards the women's game instead? Now that you said it, totally. Unique skill set. He's not the, you know, player who had to rely completely on his skating to get by. He's evolved his game little by little, and he's going to have a lasting ability in this league so long as he wants to. Then I could see that he's probably got at least three more head coaches he can decide okay, I like this, or I'm never doing that in my lifetime. But hopefully, as Buffalo continues to improve, he just hears enough different voices that he can pull from experiences. And I think he's pretty wise on how the game is played. His defensive play, like Kessel's, is always going to be dogged, but he's a winger. He's a winger that's covering the point, you know? I think he's pretty smart and cerebral and a person. He can fill out the gaps, do the rest himself. I could see him being a head coach. I could totally, now that you said, I could totally see him being a women's head coach. Mm -hmm. And maybe, here we go, Cassie. Mm -hmm. His assistant coach is Philip J. Kessel. Mm. Well, it's a nice show, everybody. Thank you. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, and then the other, the, the, the obvious of the obvious are the Hughes brothers, right? Pick one. <laughs> Anyone? I mean, they're the three of them together are going to buy the Red Wings at some point. I mean, mm. or, 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 or. <laughs> They're going to be uh, partners on the Atlanta Okefenokies. <laughs> or as soon as Stan Caston wants to diverse and bring in other ownership groups, the Michigan PWHL franchise. Mm-hmm. I just get the sense they all end up back near home. Because at this point, uh, Quinn probably won't be playing with the other two anytime soon. Um, Because I don't think New Jersey could ever afford him or afford to trade for him. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, with them, it's kind of hard because they're, they're... Still so early in their careers. One so early hasn't made the NHL yet. Um, <laughs> and so, but the fact that, that their mom 
played hockey. Wasn't she a hockey player or was she a figure skater? That's, I don't remember. I don't remember either, honestly. But, um, but the fact that they already are very vocal about supporting women's hockey bodes well, you know? This is also very true. Also very much so true. Um, in a complete left turn. Mm-hmm. Like, it it <laughs> like it matters on this show. Um, I had a, I had a wild notion the other day because there was so much talk about the Calder trophy this year already. Um, Mm. And sort of wandered through the list of Calder Trophy winners and went, my God, there have been some absolute swing and misses. Andrew Raycroft, Steve Mason. Some could argue. Guys who were never developed. Well, some could argue (laughs) Tyler Myers. Um, and it seemed like it was, they, it seems to go like in, in, in blocks, you know, cause the, the beautiful color charts that you sort of look at will show you if a player is still active or, um, if they're in the hall of fame or anything of the sort. And one of the things that caught me is we're in that window for hall of fame nominations and there's it it stops at Daniel Alfredson. And I think and if I were to look at the list and not read off everybody in between, it stops at Daniel Alfredson, but then there'd be a an eight year gap before the next eligible before the next person who's likely going to get into the Hall of Fame, and that's Alex Ovechkin. Everybody in between just seems like, yeah, he's pretty good. Oh, wow. Yeah, he didn't have a good career. Yeah, he was pretty good. And then looking at the list from Ovechkin on, it seems like, you know, there may be one, like Steve Mason's obviously not going to get in there, bless his heart. Tyler Myers. But then you start getting into McKinnon, Matthews, those kinds of guys who may be trending that way. And I don't believe I've ever seen as big a gap of non superstar players. If that makes sense. Winning the Calder is that, that brick between 96 and Oh four. It's Brian Burrard, Sergey Samsonov, Chris Drury, Scott Gomez, Evgeny Nabokov, Danny Heatley, Barrett Jackman, Andrew Raycroft. All, you know, all NHLers, you know, some great careers in there. But was it really that bad (laughs) back then? Am I missing something? You know, prior to that, it was Alfredson, Forsberg, Brodeur, Solani, Burray, Belfort, you know, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. And then thunk. So what you're saying is the 1990s ruined youth hockey for a while. That's, I, that's what I was sort of kind of. Is there is there sort of a bigger question or, or bigger problem in that era? Because you know we always sort of say it's you know the the hockey generations are what about eight years effectively because they come because they can kind of come in at around 18 and the, they don't start getting beat into program shape until like eight or nine. So maybe 10 years, but that's, it's just wild sitting there looking at that. It's just like a black hole. It's, it's the impact of, of the Jacques Lemaire, New Jersey devil cup winning teams. Well, (laughs) the dead puck era. And that's kind of, and that's sort of the, the more hypothetical question that I was sort of getting around are getting to because if you look at those players, they would have been playing in one way, you know, somebody like 
uh, Nabokov came from Russia, so that's probably not the case. But somebody like um, uh, Barrett Jackman, right? He would have grown up in that sort of trickle-down effect of the, the trap, hardened position, you know, good stick, good stick, good stick type stuff. It's just, it's just weird. I mean, outside of maybe like early on in the 40s or something, just seeing that much of a of a gap between Calder winners and and Hall of Fame players is weird to me. And I don't, you know, I love him. You know, I, I'll always be a Chris Drury fan. You know, Nabokov was fantastic. Healy, you know, Heatley, bless his heart, you know, dealt with some stuff and put up a good career. But there isn't any one of them that's got even a shot of hell of making the Hall of Fame. I was hearing a very similar argument around like top five draft picks over not to basically after Leon Dreisaitl was picked third, usually the one or two Hall of Fame candidates from the draft really, really trending to be either the first overall pick or some diamond in the rough. Yeah, I it's 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 just it's just weird i mean i don't know why it struck me i was in a mood i think it was because it was thanksgiving and i was trying to stay away from my family while i was because i was the cook and so i was in my office my little fortress of solitude while everybody was going chaotic crazy out in the house and couldn't remember who won a um I don't know why I was looking for a Calder winner, but I was looking for the Calder winner the year that Mike Bossy won it. And just went, oh man, there's like a black hole here. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so that's all I had. Actually, no, that's not all I had. Um, for me, Sam Gerard, God bless you, buddy. Mm-hmm. If you're not listening. Nobody you know is listening to this. I don't care. I'm putting it out of the universe. Anyway, um, so glad you made the decision to go get the help. You know, they aren't they aren't automatons. They aren't robots or human beings. You know, as much as we like them to be machines and these impervious entities, they're literally not. So, God love you, Sam. You know, hope to see you back. If not, it's not the end of the world. The hardest thing you can do is not not just recognize that you have a problem and that you need help is to actually ask for help. Yep. Mm-hmm. 100 percentile. Because most people recognize when they're struggling and they recognize that they need help. It's taken that step beyond that to ask for it. That's That's the hardest part of all. Yeah, I got to a point a number of years ago where I knew I was in danger. And that's when I'm like, nope, enough of this. There's no way, you know. Everybody, you know, some people only need it temporarily. Some, it's an ongoing process. It doesn't matter. There isn't a damn thing wrong with it. Nope. Just taking that step back is the biggest, not eye-opener, but it's just, it's such a simple thing, but it is so hard. Yeah. Right. Because you're afraid of being judged because of pride, because of, you know, maybe you're afraid you're going to lose something like your career or family or, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons why people don't do that. Mm-hmm. And typically I was actually just talking to a friend about this. She has a sister who is going through some serious mental health struggles and, has had to be hospitalized um, a number of times in the past few weeks. And um, it's not, a lot of people think that hitting bottom is when you're going to change. That's not it at all. People hit bottom all the time and they never change. The, The thing that causes people to change is they get sick of their own bullshit. And then they change. And that can happen at any point in time during the process. 
it doesn't have to be rock bottom and it usually isn't. It's usually something that clicks in their brain that they're like, oh, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. I'm going to change. And so, you know, you can't force people to that point, but you can help them if they want help to get to that point. Yeah, I'm I'm just so happy that he acknowledged, you know, what the root causes of his issues were. <laughs> you know, why am I doing this? Well, it's because of this and this, you know, it's an escape, it's a it's a dead, you know, it's a I used to make the joke that I didn't I didn't drink to quiet the voices in my head. I used to drink to get him to throw a party and leave me alone so I could mm-hmm. go on and do other things. Um and it's just, you know, that one hit home to me. So that's the only reason I wanted to bring it up. We can go talk about fun stuff now. <laughs> but was there really any fun stuff? <laughs> this is the NHL after all at this point. <laughs> well, there's always fun stuff because you can sit there and talk about the leaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah there. No, you brought you brought up the epicenter team. <laughs> Who have you noticed? People are talking a little less about these days. Well, yeah, because there's they're so neglected. Oh well, no! Well, there's 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 a uh, there's a more critical situation brewing in a province further west that is mm-hmm. impacting the potential of a national treasure. And so of so of course, you know, this everything it, it's sort of like the Gretzky, right? You know, when there was the the trade of Gretzky to Los Angeles, you know, Canadian parliamentary actually went into session to see if there was a way to block it, you know. <clears throat> and I just remember an old MVSW episode where Wyshynski made some flippant comment as Wyshynski tends to do about sending (laughs) SEAL Team 6 into northern Alberta to rescue Connor (laughs) (laughs) and it just it just never seemed more apropos than it did like the last two weeks you know so Connor is a curmudgeon full stop Mm-hmm. That that's just him, Leon. Leon's German. Leon, he's German. I was gonna say <laughs> I I did I did spend. Um, I was gonna say he's he's a curmudgeon simply because he's German. Just, <laughs> it's, I did spend American Thanksgiving with someone uh, native to German, and the dry sense of humor it just it it just does not come off in the press. It's just you. They're. As someone of German descent, welcome to my family. I was going to say, as someone of German <laughs> yeah. descent, I'm right there. I know exactly. Yeah. Come on, you know. So, I remember when Chicago was winning there, was it at the peak of their powers? When they were hiding all kinds of things, even still? Yeah. Well, the players, but they were um, dumb. Um, you know, Captain Sirius, Mr. Pouty Pants, Jonathan Taves, he was always in a bad mood, but there's always someone else on that team to get him not not to perk up, but just to sit back and relax. I'm not saying they need a team comedian. They don't need a class clown, but they need someone in there just to... They need Phil. Actually, you know who they need? is Nick Foligno. Just, he works hard. He already has respect, but he just... I don't know. He takes things up to a point as serious, and then he relaxes. They need that type of personality, not necessarily Foligno himself, because we saw how, how well it worked on the Eastern... Canadian team a couple seasons ago. Uh, I will give him a pass on that because he apparently needed some surgeries. 
Oh yeah. And but then, um, also, you know, I'll give him a pass, but I'll still laugh at the team for overpaying for him. And oh yeah. sure, and you know what? Good for him. Exactly. Hey. <laughs> Again, you know, I'm not going to blame the player for signing a contract that's put in front of him. Um, mm-hmm. There are worse places to live as a well-paid professional athlete, too. Newark? Um, <clears throat> yes. <laughs> full, full stop. <laughs> but it's just everyone on that roster outside of maybe Evan Bouchard. And Sam Gagne, and Sam Gagne is kind of a little different. It's just like serious, 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 serious. There's just no no one that can cut the tension, if only to get like a Phil Kessel chuckle out of someone. <laughs> also, can we can we acknowledge that Stuart Skinner, while he is 25, um, how many? How many years has he played in the NHL? One and a half. <laughs> Can we stop talking about him as if he's a fully developed NHL goalie? Oh, there's that D word again. Yep. Develop development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in that case, then like, you know, pretty much no one. <laughs> no one's developed in the NHL. So, <laughs> so give it, <laughs> given the... Actually, lovely schedule this week. I actually appreciated that there were game, days with no games on it. Because uh, sometimes you need a break. But everyone saw the highlights of what happened to Edmonton in Carolina. And, oh, it's all on the goalie. It's always on the goalie. When you <coughs> then you go and... When then you go and watch the game, and it's like, oh, goalie's going post to post. They're moving like crazy. They're making the first and second saves. And the trip to fan, which is not a real thing, but it was inside the Oilers' heads, just got to them. When a team loses, it's always the goalie's fault. When a team wins, it's always the scoring forward's fault. And nobody pays any attention to the defense unless they screw up. So that's just how it is. <laughs> Which is funny because there's enough Canadian talking heads. First statement is they need a save. Second statement is, but it's still not all on the goalie. Mm-hmm. Yet they looked at Carolina and still talk of them like they're a contender after the abysmal performance they put up against Tampa Bay. No, no, no. On Friday. Not abysmal, Pat. Not abysmal. Nope. Oh, it no, was no, no, abysmal. No, you're underplaying. You, you, you have a better adjective. The historical record-setting bad performance. I put one goal against on the goalie. But, uh, d- Just one. Doesn't matter. And but he he has a record, and you know what? Sometimes. That's good in enough. The, in the entirety of the NHL since they have started tracking shots as a stat, there has never, never been a performance that bad of shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe only allowing one shot in a period isn't as good as we think it is. Shocker. And then you put one of the most lethal power plays. The second shot you face is on one of those where you allow passes going from board to board. But congratulations, Antiranta. You're in the record books. And that's all anyone will talk about because no one watched the game. Oh, I. Uh, Unless you were there in attendance like me, no one watched the game. I was, hey man, I was tooling through a bunch of games. Um, tooling through a bunch of games and then landed on that one for a while and saw exactly what you were talking about. It was like, it was like a hello Edmonton East. Can somebody stop a crossing mm-hmm. pass? Apparently not. It was like everything was going right in the past season or two. And now we're over evaluating teams that really didn't. 
upgrade or improve in the off seasons or who have apparently just left their senses and forgot how to play defense. Yes. Cause this isn't Edmonton. I think we've said over the past few weeks, it's not all about some defensive strategy change. Just something, something is in their heads. Something is off with dry And yes, I know he had a good game yes. yesterday, but something has been off with him. And there's always Connor. We know is hurt. There's always one guy on every team who seems to be like the emotional catalyst. That if something's wrong with that one guy, then the entire mm-hmm. team is screwed for some reason. And sometimes it's a couple of different guys, and it changes night to night. But and gosh, you know, you know that coaches don't even recognize any of this because they have yeah. no like you know emotional intelligence. But um, but there's always like there. There's always at least one guy every night who is just, if he is off, the whole team is off. If he is on, the whole team is on. It doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter. They don't have to be like a guy with a C or an A on their jersey. They can be the goalie. They can be like, they can be anybody. But there's always one guy that if he's having a bad night, everybody has a bad night. This, this mm-hmm. The uh, purported straw, correct? Yeah, the the catalyst, the linchpin, the whatever mm-hmm. thing you want to use, and Dreisaitl is is at least one of them on on. Edmonton. I think, and most people don't recognize it as the player it should be. Like if we were to use Pittsburgh as an example, you would say Crosby or Malkin because yeah. it, it always, but it. Mm-mm, it's not. It's a um, Latang. Mm-hmm. Latang's the guy most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time. Crosby can be having a bad game. Malkin can be, can be having a bad game. But if Latang is, like, on and he is, like, just he's there, then the rest of the team's doing okay. You know? If, you, if Latang is, like, off and everybody else is, like, Crosby and, and Malkin are doing great, then they'll score a bunch, but nobody else will do anything. Could you say the same for Ryan Nugent Hopkins? No, I don't think so. And it's not, I'm not dragging him or anything. Um, I don't think he has ever been that driver. I think he has been an absolute fantastic support player. He is, he is one of those, um, uh, one of those touring musicians, right? Like Queen with Adam Lambert has this guy named Tyler Warren going out with them. Tyler does everything. Tyler is a fantastic singer. Tyler is a monster drummer. Tyler can play bass. Tyler can play guitar. And Tyler plays percussion to sort of augment what um, Roger Taylor is doing on drums. But he's there also adding the vo- right? He's that guy. If you take him out of that, the the show sounds flat. You know, the vocals aren't as rich. The the backing, you know, the backing music for all of these, you know, fantastic Queen songs isn't nearly as rich. But it's still them, right? He's not so integral that they still can't put on a great show. It's just that little extra that's missing. And I think that's R&H. Especially mm-hmm. now. You know, maybe younger, they tried to force him into that role. But I think now he is there to be that Swiss Army knife. Which makes solving whatever is up. Well, we know it's a composition issue with Edmonton. But when they're on, they're on. And it's not just Connor and Leon. They can pull them kicking and screaming when they are awful and win games. We have seen that time and time again. But I don't think Edmonton truly has that linchpin player. And that's why I asked about Nugent Hopkins, because I agree, Patrick. I think I think in the interim it's Dreisaitl. I think that however he goes is how the team goes. But I think that if they brought in a different guy who I mean it could easily like flip to somebody else, you know? I 
Which, I'm wondering if they weren't expecting a Vander Kane to fill that, be that sort of third in the pyramid. Uh, you know, I am the third heat, you know, convection, microwave, electric. I am the third heat. <laughs> Thank you, Pat. I was I was wondering if they might not have expected Evander Kane to do that. And that's, you know, that is not reading the room. No. It makes me wonder. There's a player that probably should have been in their lineup. Who's not there anymore on defense. <laughs> go ahead and say it. Just piss me off even more today. No, go ahead. No. Go ahead. No. No. Say it. Say it. Coach, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. Oh, he was. 77 in your program. He was, well, missing from our hearts, Oscar Clefbaum. Yep. If Clefbaum were still healthy today. They'd be a completely different team. Completely. And would we be having some of those discussions? Because he was the type of player who is your linchpin. In my opinion, you know what I'm you know what I'm noticing in our discussion is there seems to be two guys up front and one guy in back. That kind of makes the whole thing go. Well, all three of them, right? I'm I'm literally now walking through the list, and it was always Sackick, Forsberg, and who? Foot. It was Foot for a spell. It you could say right. it was Rob Blake. Don't you dare people say it was Ray Bork. <laughs> as incredible a season as he had in, in 2000-2001, it was not no. Raymond Bork. Because that's the other thing. Everyone could look at Evan Bouchard and say, well, he's that guy. Not no. Yet. No, he's not. He Potential, but he's not there. He is Carolina. The he is the guy that when he is taken out of the lineup because of injury or whatever... The entire the entire team looks lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is your linchpin guy. He doesn't have to be a great player. He doesn't even have to be like a you know a PK or power play player. He doesn't have to be anyone special. He doesn't have to have any leadership role. It's Philip Kessel. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just it's. Again, it does, it's not necessarily just one guy, but it's often one guy and then there's a secondary guy. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not a it's it's not obvious if you're not familiar with the team that you know that we're talking about. You're going to automatically pick. Oh, it's going to be like one of the top players. It's like no, it doesn't no, have to be. It just has to be someone. So I think you were going to go with Aho, Svechnikov, and Slavin, Pat. For Carolina? I would say Ahos Svechnikov, but Slavin's not it. He is he is the guy beside the guy. Oh, okay. To bring, and I think that's one of the reasons why Carolina is struggling. They've kind of peaked at what they did, and now they are just predictable. Like the fans can figure out exactly. When certain fans know exactly what's going to happen on every play a la Steve Dangle, and this has been a bit of his for years, like as someone who never grew up playing, never had formal coaching, when you recognize the patterns and you can predict when they're going to make mistakes or when things are going to go wrong, it's, well, so can the other team. So I'm going to use a parallel example. Who was last year's linchpin for the Boston Bruins. Krejci? Because you have Pasternak up there. You could argue it was Krejci. You could could say it's Bergeron, but it was not. 
Now they would you know have totally collapsed this season if it were Krejci or mm. Bergeron. You know who I think it is? Hmm. Hampus Lindholm. Hmm. Someone who takes the burden away from maybe the number one defenseman, although I still argue Lindholm's a number one on most teams in the league. But he frees up McAvoy from certain responsibilities when they do play together. But just his presence on that team, they went from really good, okay, we're wondering if this is the end of the road for us, and things immediately just came together completely different. Yes, there was a new coach, but new coach putting this player in a certain role. Like he was he had 60 points last season, give or take. No, 53. Not always getting top power play time. He outscored Charlie McAvoy. Now, McAvoy did 52 points in 67 games. But something about a linchpin just brings everything together and sets the lineup up. And I think in the case of Edmonton and some of these other teams that are struggling, New Jersey has it there. But they haven't had their trifecta of players for more than two or three games at a time this year. New Jersey has Heeshare. Hughes and Hamilton and Hamilton's the only one that's played most of the season. I miss Dougie Hamilton in Carolina. (laughs) (sighs) Dougie for Norris again this year. He's not going to win, but gosh, darn it. Just so many, uh, just, so many smart little players. When a certain team loses a certain type of player, like Carolina losing Hamilton, they've never been able to replace it. Edmonton, Clef Bob, never been able to replace it. We're seeing Boston was able to replace, for lack of a better term, Bergeron. You don't replace that type of person. Right, but he's. But you can fill their hole in the line. But he's not exactly gone either. He still lives in the Boston area. He's still there. He still has influence. He's just not on the ice. Right. He's not in the locker room. He's not on the ice. But you know that he's still hanging out with guys after games Mm -hmm. and, you know, after practice and stuff. Look at the New York Rangers now, who taken over top spot in the league. Yeah. Everyone's going to question whether they have their trifecta. Shout out Keandre Miller. <laughs> Woohoo! Because you could say, oh, it's obviously going to be Adam Fox. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Is it though? No. I mean, has I would lean more I would lean more towards mm-hmm. Miller. It doesn't have to be the best player. Right. I mean, again, the the thing that the distinguishing feature, for lack of a better term, for for the linchpin player is you can have your top players out and the team still goes fine. But if that one player is out, no matter if you have your top players in your lineup, the team kind of looks lost and kind of collapses. Or they just play so different. Right. It's like, night and day or you know they they're they can't seem to score no matter how much they're shooting or you know whatever it's part of that inconsistency isn't just a matter of the play the top players playing well it's also a matter of if those linchpin players in the lineup it's also a matter of if you know your bottom six or your top four or your bottom four defenders are like playing well. You know, there's a bunch of different things going on there, but your linchpin player is an emotional anchor. It's that person mm-hmm. that can play up or down as needed and provide the exact same everything, whether they're higher up or further down in the lineup. They've got the respect in the room. Everyone sort of knows... They're they're the lighthearted guy that's you know 
not just happy to be there, but thrilled to be playing hockey today on average. He just loves being around the guys and hanging out and chatting and, and playing the game and, you know, doing, doing the thing and maybe not lighthearted, but definitely on the, on the lighter side. And yeah. And there are several teams in this league who are struggling, who need that. Mm-hmm. But the tricky thing is not only just recognizing who these guys are, but also if they're going to fit into your team in a composition way. Mm-hmm. Vancouver has played very well this season. Who is their linchpin? You know, we could we can obviously look at one of their top three point producers this year. Is it Miller? Is it Pedersen? Is it Hughes? Hughes is having an outstanding year. I think it's Hughes. Is, I'm wondering if it's not Miller who's in the better headspace mm. because we don't hear a thing about him. Or is it someone like Brock Besser? I was gonna argue it could have been it could be Miller or Besser. Because they were the subject of acrimony and accusation and whatever and whatever. And so when they're miserable, the team was kind of miserable. When they're going, and this kind of circles back to the Jeff Skinner argument. He was kind of a a disregarded player at a certain point in his career because he was kind of miserable because losing breeds miserability. And unless something changes, if you're in that still same static, stale environment and nothing really changes, why are you going to be happy? I'm wondering, and I'm going to go completely off the board. I'm wondering if it might not be somebody like Mark Friedman. Somebody that came into the franchise sort of, you know, was, was there for some of the dysfunctionality of the last two seasons and just sort of worked his way into the lineup and is just that, you know, kind of overaged guy, overage, 27, you know, 26, 27 years old, but, you know, bounced around the league a little bit and just sort of kind of found a home here. You know what's fun is when that that linchpin guy is a part time AHLer, and no one yeah, that's it. that's <laughs> Cassie. That's a little bit of what I was going you for. You know, the guy who's like when they're when he's up, the the team's playing fantastic. He may not be fantastic. He may be you know doing his thing and and doing it okay, but. And then he gets sent down, and the team sucks again, and then they bring it back up, and then the team's great again, but no one can quite put their finger on why. Love those guys. I, hilarious. I, it's hilarious to watch. Once you recognize so, so what's you br- going on. <laughs> you brought up Friedman in that roster. Could you not say the same of Phil DiGiuseppe, who's just uh, he's a, he's he's a, a tr- guy. Uh, quadruple yeah. A player, but... When he was in Carolina, I always tracked. They always seemed to perform better with him in the lineup than with not. And, you know, I looked at stats. I looked at whatever. And there was no real discernible reason. Mm -hmm. But I always said, for whatever reason, I see with my eye test that I cannot back up with any stats. But they look and perform as a better team with him in the lineup. And the record reflected that. There was just nothing else I could say. And that kind of lends to what you were both saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I've seen it a number of times, and I've just, like, I just sit there and shake my head because, to me, it's as obvious as, like, the sun in the sky, you know? But I know that it's absolutely everybody around on that team is clueless. They have no idea. They're all just scratching their heads going, I don't get it, and not pinning it on when this particular player has been called up and sent down. 
They don't yeah. actually like make that connection. They're just streaky and they can't figure out why. And it's when funny. you are that high draft pick on a team, and this is the only environment you've ever been in, and you've never had to bounce around throughout your career, whether it be to the minors, to other teams, you just don't know anything different. But these, you know, AHL guys who are still making their career into their thirties, they I hate to say they just have more life experience. So they know that they can just adjust and change things and do things different. Just everything hits them differently. So hmm. Just that uh, spark. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite teams to watch right now is the LA Kings. And going back to that whole conversation, you know, the whole conversation we've just had, I'm trying to, you know, you try and pinpoint, well, what's been different, right? Jordan Spence. Thank you. Just a little, you know, little five, five foot nothing, hundred nothing pound defender just seems like it's filled in that last missing little puzzle piece on the defense for them. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, again, completely eye test, you know, nothing statistical to back up, but there's a decidedly different attack to that team now with him there. Cause I don't think there's somebody else back there who can do some of what Dowdy does to help push. Cause Dowdy is trying to do everything again. Cause it's Drew Dowdy. And, but now there's that other guy that can kind of take some of that other stuff with him too. And he's, for a little guy, he's been getting shots through and causing chaos. And really, isn't that all you need from a defender when mm-hmm. they're in the offense? Mm-hmm. And it's someone like Jordan Spence who's going to make and carve out room and space and time for Brant Clark. Where we're not going to take one of those colder names that you suggested and then three, four or five years into their career wonder what happened because too much is either thrown on you or you were just asked to do everything when you were either ready for that or the player who can do all those things. And, you know, of course, any, any, any chance I get to talk about the Kings, I get to talk about my love of affair with my, my youngest hockey son, Quentin Byfield. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, yeah, has uh, been making waves, eh? Yeah. Uh, um, how about you pull the humble mm-hmm. pie out of the oven, set the gas mark egg on your face, and eat some crow, everyone? It's like, oh, why is he on the first line? Oh, you shouldn't even be playing up. You should be down in the age of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, go pound sand. And he's finally, occasionally starting to get more than. 14, 15 yep. minutes a night. Occasionally. He's not playing much on the PK. Which is, you know, okay, yeah. get it. Totally get it. So, you know, those those dips in time are, you know, generally nights when they're a little bit more on the PK side. Mm-hmm. But he is getting the shifts. He's getting regular shifts. He's not getting 10 to 13. He's getting... 17, 18, 19, 20, so he's continuing to go out and generating some sort of rhythm. Boy, howdy, I made this comment to a friend of mine. He reminds me, when he's at full tilt skating, there's something about his stride and the way he wears his sweater. It looks like Mike Madonna. There's just that little bit of jersey flap, you know? Going in the back and just sort of, you know, he's got that kind of similar skating style to Madonna. And then the jersey flap gets going and you see that big entity of a human being out there at speed. The jersey's flapping in the wind and you're like, where have I seen this before? 
Oh, yeah, it was in Minnesota for a number of years. And then it went to uh, Dallas. And I mentioned this to a friend of mine, and he said, 100% Mike Madonna and Eric Lindros' body. And I went, that's actually pretty apt. Because <laughs> I forget time to time how big Quentin is. You know, he's not a small man. <laughs> What, 6'5", 220 is small (laughs) for a 21-year-old? For a college quarterback, maybe a little on the small side, but... (laughs) And and when he was, I think it was uh, the game Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? I forget who it was. It doesn't matter. Um, No, it it was Friday against Montreal. It had an absolutely, not Friday, Saturday against Montreal absolutely just beautiful tip goal in front and it was it took that to sort of remind me oh he's big because they show it from behind the net and you see the screen and then you see his gorgeous deflection and you're like yeah that's that's a big mountain of a human being and my love for him just continues to grow My my youngest hockey son. <laughs> and would you look at that? The Kings goaltending all of a sudden looks was, better. Uh, as opposed to the first few games of the season. Progre- <laughs> I call it progression to the mean. You know, Drysaddle and McDavid mm-hmm. were not going to continue to be this bad. Talbot and Coppola no. were not going to continue to be this bad. Jonathan Quick was not going to continue to be that bad as he was in the preseason where everyone freaked out. And then he's been able to take some of the pressure off Shesterkin, and guess what? He's been pretty good. And with a completely different defense in front of him, he looks like he looks like a completely different goalie. He does not look like the cup-winning goalie who's putting on a Tim Thomas show. He is structurally more sound. Mm-hmm. Because he has to be. And to that point, the other conversation I had with same friend was I I had said to that person um, while watching one of the Kings games, I'm starting to get the warm fuzzies. Like, seeing the way they play, they're going to finish third, fourth, fifth in the conference, and then absolutely steamroll people in the playoffs. And his comment back to me was, what about their goaltending? And I said, I don't think that's an issue because I don't believe it's any worse than what Vegas had last year or Colorado had prior. Nobody nobody looked... I mean, Vegas, you know, you just look at the defense and go, if anybody's shot on net, it's going to be a miracle, right? Because of that defensive core and Mark Stone and the way they play and everything. But Kings are kind of playing that same way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now in goaltending, you can look at uh, Georgiev in Colorado. He leads the league and wins. Would you say he's one of the better goalies in the league right now? Absolutely not. But if you look at Talbot especially, he's up there in wins. He's up there in save percentage. He's up there in goals all against. All those stats. Yep. All those yeah. team stats, which are telling you what the team is doing in front of him, he's adjusted to yeah. and settled yeah. in. To me, that... After yes. 14 that's games. That's exactly it. He started off brand new system, brand new team. You know, he's always had... He's always been a good goalie. You know, he's... You know, off a couple of years, but I think he's always been like, you know, right around 9, 10 for his save percentage. You know, sometimes high, a couple times low. I think one year in Minnesota was probably really bad. But then again, to your point, structure of the team. Um, but if I had told anyone that Vegas was going to win the cup with Aiden Hill as their starting goaltender at the, you know, even the midway point of last year, I would have been laughed off of. TV. If I'd even said that they were going to win with Logan Thompson, I would have been laughed off TV. 
right? Because everyone thinks they have to have that guy. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you, you know, as much as I love him, Grant Fear wasn't the greatest goaltender in the world. <gasps> you know what he no. You know what he did do? He, made he delivered when it mattered. When he needed stops. He found a way to fight and dig and, you know, compete. Yeah, you don't need a Patrick Waugh if you've got, like, decent defense. You know, all you need sometimes is love. John Lennon, smart man, shot in the back, very sad. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All you need is to be run out there like one Uka Pekka This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.